Hello, welcome to Strategy Games Podcast, Three Moves Ahead. I am your host this week, Rowan Kaiser, and today we will be discussing Crusader Kings 3, Two Years On. Uh, there are two main thrusts to this discussion. Uh, the first one is that Crusader Kings has had two years of patches and expansions, and we want to check in on what's changed, what's good, have some of the issues that we've had been fixed. Um, have they figured out new ways to do exciting things? Uh, and the second one is that Crusader Kings 3 is a crossover kind of game that gets a lot of people that don't necessarily play a ton of strategy games or don't necessarily have their noses out into the strategy game uh, critical universe or haven't guessed it on Three Moves Ahead terribly often. So we wanted to get some new voices on. Uh, the first of those is someone who's not totally a new voice. They guested on our Ethics in Strategy Games podcast earlier this year, Ruth Cassidy. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. And we are also joined by Cap Manning, narrative lead from Firaxis and all-around systemic and emergent narrative expert, designer, all, all kinds of things. Uh, welcome, Cat. Hi. Yeah, it's great to be here. I think aficionado probably works uh, and Ooh, is also annoying. So. Yeah, excited to be one. here. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that I wanted to start here is just talking with you all about uh, your sort of general history with Paradox Games and Crusader Kings 2 and 3. Uh, Kat, I feel like you would be good to have starting here because it is so directly connected to your aficionado expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, everything pre-pandemic is a little bit of a blur. Um, so I'll try to do the best that I can. But, um, you know, I really got very, very heavy, heavy into, um, emer you know, what I would call emergent narrative games um, more and more over the tens. Uh, I, I have played strategy games, you know, basically for as long as I've been playing PC games. But, um, you know, I I, I, when I discovered Crusader Kings 2, uh, it was probably about the middle of the decade. So like a couple years on, um, there, there had been several expansion packs. So I wasn't hitting, you know, the very early days of it, which I heard was, was, uh, <laughs> I hear I came on around the right time, uh, is what I'll say. Um, and I pretty much just got completely absorbed with it immediately, um, and so I, I had these cycles of sort of going through and like, you know, dumping way too much of my life into it and then falling off and being a normal person. And then another DLC would come out and, you know, um, and, and, and the cycle would continue. Um, and when Crusader Kings 3 came out, um, I was at Riot and I, no joke, took a full week off because I knew that I was going to spend that week playing Crusader Kings 3. And I just wanted to be very honest about that and not have it impact my work. So I just, I just took a vacation. <laughs> um, and I looked at my Steam play count uh, at the end of that week. Uh, you know, and let's, let's be very clear that it was a full seven days. It wasn't just five. Uh, and I had 100 hours in the game. So I had done a whole, I'd done a whole week of work uh, in that game. And then a whole week, another whole week of work. And then... 20 extra hours. So that was terrifying and also reminded me that I did in fact make the right call. <laughs> um, like, I think part of that was that I'd left it running, but like, yeah, a hundred hour playtime in 168 hours. Yes. Um, 
and and I played it. Uh, I've 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 played sort of um, on and off. Like I I spent the next month uh, dumping a ton of time into it, uh, and then I kind of you know took a break. And I've sort of had these cycles in which I've sort of uh, come back and forth to it because I know that if I come back to it, I'm just going to spend another two weeks uh, not being a real person. So so I guess this is to say, paradox games uh, it sort of get at a place in my brain where I want to dissect everything and uh I I go through phases where I'm or I allow myself to play them so that that I can have a healthy balance with everything else <laughs> uh, so all paradox games or just crusader Kings? yeah um mostly just crusader kings you know I've I've uh spent some time with EU4 uh, I've spent some time with with Victoria um uh I've 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 poked at um is it Empire of Sin? Um, yeah, of... but that's a that's a published game, right? And not right, a, published uh, versus internal. Yeah, um, yeah. that's true. Um, so I shouldn't say all paradox games. It it is Crusader Kings, like, and and which isn't to say that I haven't enjoyed time with with those games, but there is something particular about Crusader Kings uh, that that keeps me coming back. Um, this is a game that that really feels unique and and scratches. Um, scratches something for me that 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 I really haven't found in another game uh of of its ilk. Ruth, how about you? Uh so my my entry point was Crusader Kings 3 for Paradox games, I think. Okay, Timeline's that's... all fuzzy. I sort of <laughs> I <laughs> it had come to strategy games just sort of all at once. I had never really touched one. And then as soon as I discover them, I was just like, oh, these are good. I'm going to just play a bunch of them all at once. Um, but I think, and again, timelines are fuzzy. I think what got me onto Crusader Kings 3 specifically may actually have been Kat's tweets. <laughs> oh no, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Slash, you're welcome. But also, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think... Wiggly hands. Uh, I definitely remember someone threading about how it was sort of functioning as a story generator. And there was, I, at, at the point where I was just sort of getting into strategy games, I was like, ooh, this is what I like about games that aren't strategy games, plus other stuff. This is, ooh, just... You know, you know how I like systems, but I also like themes, and I also like narratives. This is I have I have to get into this now, and I have to just pick at it for a thousand years. And so, yeah, I think I I didn't I didn't get into Crusader Kings three when it was brand brand new, but I think I was in fairly early ish, okay. and then kept playing it quite regularly. It is, it is in, regrettably something I bought twice on PC, which I very much dislike doing because I had it on, like, I had the Windows Store version, which does not run very well. And then when Royal Court came out, I ended up buying the, like, expansion pass version just so I could have it on Steam and it didn't crash a lot. And I'm just like, oh, this was a financially regrettable decision, but now it works. <laughs> No, I just completely like, understand that. Yeah, I, you know, if, you you are a published critic. We can get you in with PR. 
like, it, it just, I've, I just have to you know what's going on. You can get a steam refund now. I get the vibe though. Steam refund if you uh, if you played under two hours. I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. What about two hundred? Yeah, closer to yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get I get buying it several times. Um, if this game ever came out on the iPad, um, I my life would be ruined. Um, I would buy, because I would buy it. I know myself, um, and and so I completely understand the the I will pay for the inconvenience or I will, <laughs> I will pay for the convenience even if yeah. it, it isn't if it if it's ten percent more convenient for this thing that that I really really need uh, or I, I feel like I need it. Uh, uh, glad to do it. Yeah. It's uh, one of those games. I, the the most cursed thing I think I have done with a game is um, when they released the Xbox Xbox port, and um, it was on Game Pass. Um, I have one of the controllers that connects to your phone. I did try and play it on my phone. It's, <laughs> it's not even a particularly yep. like it's it's not like a phablet. It's not. I was just like, I have to see if I can. If I can technically do this. And I think it was, I I felt like I was doing something illegal. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to get it working. It's on the can. Pardon? Nice. Uh, Yeah. It it just does not have the touch control that I, like, I'm sure that there's probably a way to like get in there with a third party controller or something like that. But, but what I really wanted was the touch screen and couldn't get that. And the tooltips just just weren't working for me, um, which again I'm I'm weirdly deeply relieved by because it it would destroy my life. Uh, I think she said the Steam Deck, like... Ruth. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry, she said the Steam Deck. I was talking to yeah, yeah. Uh, that one I hadn't even considered that. I like I I think Civilization just because you know I have thirty years now of Civilization on the go sounding good. Uh, but Crusader Kings on a Steam Deck is suddenly I want a Steam Deck. They'll support it, someday. even though it doesn't work. I yeah, live in hope. I'm sure. I live in hope. Uh, so when I asked you to be on this show, Cat, it was like I was the every time you think you're out, you're getting pulled back in on yes. on Crusader Kings. That's, yes, that's absolutely. Lovely. I'm glad um, to be an enabler. Oh, I I deeply blame you for my last week. Uh, because I was like, I should really go back and replay before I'm on the podcast just to, you know, get my thoughts in order, see how I really feel about where the state of the DLC is. Um, and then I just, you know, sunk a massive amount of hours into that. This yeah. week. So thank you very much. You said that. you were doing that and Darkest Dungeon? And Darkest Dungeon and Destiny. And okay. also doing well, De- my real job. <laughs> Destiny <laughs> so I, I have never played, uh, but Darkest Dungeon and Crusader Kings is sort of the Rowan Kaiser special. Yes, uh, uh, and they fit really well together. But I, I do not need to derail this podcast with. Uh, 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 well, I mean, this it is right though. It's it, this is a podcast about our little guys. Um, yeah, they're just little guys. Yeah, uh, you you make them all fit together. You try to mm-hmm. get their stats to line up. You try to make sure they're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so just as a sort of reminder, I guess for the Rowan lore for all of you. Uh, I got into, I've been into Paradox games basically since EU1 was released, although I missed like a lot of the first generation of non-Europa Universalis games. Uh, And uh, Crusader Kings 2, when it came out, 
I got assigned to review it, and this actually ended up sort of being my my gateway into like uh, being the main strategy game critic at IGN for a while eventually, because my editor went on to become the reviews editor at IGN. Uh, and uh, I believe my first my first visit to Three Moves Ahead was uh, for Crusader Kings too, which uh, now I'm helping run. So that's. Uh, this was a, a very big game for me, even just in terms of uh, my personal career, let alone the game itself. But the game itself was, you know, my game of the decade. I spent thousands of hours. Probably, I don't know about thousands. I spent probably a thousand hours into it. Uh, it was, you know, a revelation in terms of how you could have transparent character mechanics creating stories about people in ways that like I had seen vaguely attempted with so usually from like Sims like angle where you put you know a bunch of people in a setting together. What was that game that was in the high school? I don't remember. Is that in the like, Sims franchise? No, no. This was a I think it was a web game, but it was it was like twelve years ago or so. Um, and it was like all these characters in a high school who had like various relationships with one another. And they were asking week. each other, probably yes, uh, yeah. I'd seen it coming from like the that direction, but I had no idea it would also could mm-hmm. could also come from like the the hardcore. I'm putting this in air quotes. Strategy game angle of you know also managing your armies and managing your economy and all those things, mm-hmm. uh, and. You know, it blew my mind that this was this was not only plausible but extremely good. Uh, and chasing that high ever since is, you know, a, a great a great strategy game motivator. Uh, Crusader Kings three specifically, though, I was a little disappointed in because it felt like uh, the the strategy side of things had somewhat fallen off. The game was. Just sort of like point click and have what you want done be done, and there's some stories going on in the background. It was lacking a lot of the friction that I had loved about Crusader Kings. Some of that was just that the interface was so much better that uh, the sort of janky friction was gone, and that was that's a little weird to say. You know, I miss not being able to see who I could invite to my court and who has a claim, uh, but. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed by that. Um, I was excited to get back into it because you know the royal court seemed like a good way to add some more narrative thrust. And uh, the patch that got released with the alongside the friends and foes expansion uh, that came out, I think early September, um, it had uh, major AI improvements so that the AI would be building up its empires and its counties and so on economically in ways that would allow it to continue to compete with the player uh, in ways that, at least in the game that I played uh, a month or so ago, uh, yeah, I did, I did just like immediately get an empire by virtue of being a human. Um, I, had to, I had to work pretty hard, lose some wars, win some wars, that kind of thing. Um, and so I, th- I think that's improving. There are still some things that I would like to see, but this is this is where I am at in my my journey with the game. And, uh, uh, I wanted to start there since this, one of the reasons we are doing this is to, to keep talking about uh, you know the changes in the game. Um, Ruth, you said that you know, you replied enthusiastically immediately that you'd been keeping up with everything in the game. 
when I when I DM'd you initially, uh, is there anything? How how do you feel about the changes that Crusader Kings has made across yeah, the years? Yeah, I'm just like, there's no way I can sound like chill and cool. It's like I try not to come up with like fanish about games in general because I'm like feelings about how I should do yeah great criticism with a little c is an approach i'm just like i've completely thrown that out of the way i do have criticisms i've i've done that i have general analytical thoughts but i've definitely come into this with you know enthusiastic fanish at the outset and i'm like oh i don't know how to dial that one back because i like the game um it's it's like (laughs) as long as you could be honest about it if and when it does fucked up i think that's totally fine to, to gush about it i mean this is a this is a podcast that has spent the last 10 plus years gushing about crusader kings uh, <laughs> my my mild skepticism and i still would have said it was strategy game of the year two years ago uh yeah. i've still adored the interface uh a lot of the storytelling stuff that they did was you know way in advance of uh where crusader kings 2 even ended yeah. uh just i i wanted a bit more friction and difficulty um but yeah i'm still yeah. i was still gushing even when i was uh the most critical person on the show so you're yeah. you're all right i'm just laughing at myself a bit i'm just like oh this isn't what i do <laughs> no, <laughs> i've I mean, ruined I think, it <laughs> i think that's good and like i i'm sort of seeing this podcast at least as a place to sort of you know um match that kind of fanishness with with you know kind of taking not taking the full hat of the job off but like you know there's a part of me as a game designer that that you know is like i i really i also really do love crusader kings 3 but there is this feeling of like oh there's a bunch of other stuff that i would like to see happening in it and it's really very unfair i think to compare the game that i am enjoying playing to like oh here is how i would make it but also i'm not thinking about all the things about production realities and dependencies and all of the things that i know as a game designer go into things so i'm just saying here's how i would wave my magic wand and make this game do different things uh and so it's it's uh, very aware that that a lot of my sort of um you know uh criticisms or feelings are sort of like tempered by you know, I'm 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 going to to sort of let myself play dreamer here rather than than uh, uh, actual uh, emergent narrative. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to do both, but right, that's sort of the balance, right? Like Ruth, like you're you're not giving up criticism as you talk about this, but you're 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 letting yourself lean into the parts that are a little more um, uh, that, that really enjoy the game. Yeah, this doesn't can include one enthusiasm. Yeah, no, it can. Like cr- criticism is a weird word because it's sounds inheritively yeah. inheritively not a word inherently <laughs> negative it, inheritively is what we do at crusader kings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it sure <laughs> is gosh, yeah inheritively but yeah um i've lost the question you asked um just how how am i changes how, how changes. have you felt about the I... game across the last two years gosh um i have i think i've mostly really enjoyed the patches and what they brought. I kind of skipped over Northern Lords because I am less of a moving my little armies around type. Um, so I actually, when you invite me on, I, I went and did a sort of Vikings on purpose. And I found that that... Um, Vikings on purpose. <laughs> Vikings on purpose. Great title for this show. Yeah. Um, I found that it makes Vikings you play in a way that's really 
not how I usually approach it. I end up trying to like rush. Um, like I'll just uh, I'll just be like I declare a war. I declare a war. I declare a war, and then kind of everything falls to pieces because I'm not uh, approaching it the way I normally do. I don't invest in my little buildings, and I'm not making sure my vassals are happy, and I'm not. You know, I'm not doing the grand strategy, long-term stuff. I'm just going, I have a war and a war and a war because I'm a Viking and I can declare so many wars. And then it's like, oh, everyone is also declaring war on me. How did this one happen? Now my <laughs> my entire, my realm has shattered into pieces. This is a terrible so time to be a Viking. <laughs> so, um, this, this actually sounds amazing. Yeah. You've, you've, you've created a story. It's a story that fits. It's it's uh, a story that I, fits. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tend to find that Crusader Kings is best in two or three when when you're on your back heels, you're trying to react to a bunch of different pressures and survive, survive war A, uh, surrender quickly in war B, get rid of your shitty air somewhere you know all these all these things are kind of collapsing at once those are what i like the game best um so that sounds amazing yeah i think it's good at that like like i've described that scenario and i'm like it has created this really well it is not actually the version of the game that i like to play i like playing it really slowly and so i i think i like that it it works like that like i i set up little marriages for my courtiers that you know I have (laughs) so you know I have kind of maybe not a very like you you know a a woman who isn't very stewardly and I'll I'll find her husband who is very stewardly and I'll I'll land him and you know and then like I'll I'll be doing that and kind of master I was about to say masterboarding (laughs) master (laughs) planning across like a chessboard you can hear when I've got two metaphors going on and they just smush together into one word. Um, we are in two different time zones. It is late in my one. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I, I like masterboarding. <laughs> so yeah, I um, so I kind of I set a lot of kind of things into place, and what I like doing is that the sort of the little uh, in the decision section. I'll I'll flag something and it will be like, do you do you want to, you know, form the, you know, do you do you want to do this kind of long-winded decision that you have one thing that's eligible for, and you can you can do ten more things and I'll go, hmm, that sounds fun, sure I'll start putting my little piece and it will take me like quite a few generations because I'll be like well I could do this thing but right now I've got you know a martial guy and I'm leaning all into the martial stuff but my next heir is a learning person so they'll be great for this they can focus on you know the cultural uh focus the cultural fascination that would really help me out here and I just I play a very long game and I just lean very heavily into the role play and I just I wave out all through and I just weave in just through these very long adventures so yeah the the Viking thing absolutely does it is a story it happened it absolutely forced that conflict to happen and it's it's extremely Vikings they did it correctly (laughs) 
it is not personally the Crusader Kings that I enjoy playing. I, th- I think I have tried it before. I think I, it's actually, I think what I tried to do on uh, the Xbox because it's one of the bookmarked ones. Um, and it's, I think it's easier on Xbox to do the bookmark stories. Um, and I was just like, this is, this is not quite what it's for me. This is, I, I go do the long things. And I think like Fate of Iberia and Friends and Foes are both very set up for just sort of let's go into the long ways. Which is very lightly said, but I've also just said a, a lot of things all at once and I could probably turn words back to other people. Did you no, play it's, with it's, Iberia much? Um, I didn't before the DLC. So when the DLC came in, yeah. um, it was one I came into. And that one does very much seems up into long play because it's a difficult one to force because um, you have and that's the thing I've seen people complain about like oh you just have to wait for a hostility phase to happen like you can't you can't just make one happen there's like even and I think it's interesting you have the kind of you have the transparency there of like you know a broken truce will give you five points towards but you are still waiting for like However, the number of points is going to happen. It's going to take more than a generation, I think, to pass most of the time. The way that the only other way to make that happen, I, I dipped into it um, a couple nights ago just because I haven't played it. It's not my favorite way to play, um, but I find it really interesting. And the reason I find it really interesting is because it requires far more than what you yourself are doing to yeah. uh, push into either a hostility or is it conciliation phase that, that comes yeah. out of opportunity? Yeah. yeah. And and one of the things that I sort of found is that I could try to sway other people or persuade other people or sort of do machinations to make conciliation, which is what I was going for, more likely to happen because hostility is is where natural drift takes it, which is a really interesting design choice um, to <laughs> to sort of say like, oh yeah, uh, if 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 nothing happens, uh, hostility will inevitably break out, out as opposed to uh, uh, attrition will uh, inevitably make this more calm. And it's like, hmm, okay, we're we're making assumptions about human be- how human beings operate. Isn't that interesting? Um, which like is fun, uh, but it's or, it's you know it is also leaning towards history. Yeah. I would say the hostility phase ended up winning in Spain. Yes, very, yes, very much so. Um, but it is, it is interesting to me that, that I guess what I'm saying is I would love to tune that. I would love to sort of have the ability to say, okay, can I simulate a version of this where we lean into conciliation and I'm the one provoking hostilities? I think there's, you know, at least an interest in, in you know, yeah. the systems designer part of me that, that, that wants even those knobs exposed so that I can play with them there. Because again, uh, what I was, what I was uh, sort of getting at with this is I love that all of the little things are exposed of how do you push this into one or the other? And it requires other, other participants in the, in the struggle um, doing that. And so like, I want to see all of those knobs for everything. Um, it's just necessary for the hostilities uh, phase or the, um, yeah, the, sorry, the struggle phase. That's fine. Um, the, uh, I think, when that came out, uh, Liana was saying, somebody in the 3MA Discord was saying that it it seemed like an interesting idea, but she couldn't wait for modders to get their hands on it. Yeah. Uh, because, like, I could definitely see, you know, if the if the Game of Thrones mod ever comes comes back for Crusader Kings 3, 
uh, that would be a way to handle like the various uh, ways the seven kingdoms kind of connect and then disintegrate and then reconnect. All, all these different things could be uh, utilized with it. Uh, it. It seemed to be like a great framework for something that when I sat down to play it and I didn't get super deep into it, but it seemed to just be like, Things will kind of, this is kind of like a scoreboard for the, the way that I'm naturally playing anyway. Like if I, right. if I get the chance to, you know, seize a county from my crappy cousin, uh, I'm going to take that chance regardless of what the, the phases happen to say. And maybe it'll be a little easier or maybe it'll be a little harder or cost a little bit more prestige or whatever. All these things could change slightly and that might, you know, long term affect how I play. But in the short term, I tend to play Crusader Kings as an opportunist and the oppor- opportune thing to do is not going to be, you know, changed by those phases that much. It just might change what the opportunities could be at different times. So, yeah, I, I was not super, super duper impressed uh, with it when I was going into it, but I could see the potential for a lot of things to to change with it. But I only played for with it for like an evening and then there was something weird with my game, so I gave it up. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was it was an interesting interesting concept that uh, I feel like yeah I I agree with Lynn or whoever it was that said that that I really want to see what modders can where they can take this all the wild places that it might be usable and for you, Cat, uh, just to suggest something to ruin your life. Uh, you can get into modding those things and have it naturally bend towards conciliation while well, you're the hostile one. Oh, no, no. I I have looked <laughs> at uh, Paradox Code and uh, I just, I cannot ruin my life in, in making more games uh, in my free time. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but, I, but I take your point, right? It is so easily yeah. moddable. Um, and one of the things that I actually do like, I basically try not to poke around too much at Paradox Code because you are you are correct. The the siren song of why don't you just mod this game the way you want this this game to be uh, is is always there. Um, and I'm actually much more interested in in seeing less what's on the code side and more okay, how does this get uh, um, how does this come across in the game? And so uh, <laughs> I play CK3 in a really weird way. Well, I play I very much I'm also a role player, but um, I try to take it apart also um so that first week that i said um i was playing it the first day i i quote unquote played it um was me booting up the game going into ireland because i love an ireland start and uh then immediately deconstructing how personalities and ai personality titles worked um could i have looked immediately at the code yeah sure um i didn't want to i wanted to see how the game was presenting you know okay we've gone from a ton of different traits to you get three and then you get a little title at the top that has an adjective and a noun and tells you who a character is. And I found that absolutely fascinating. And I wanted to know, okay, how is this boiling up? Um, what is this telling me about the character? And I believe um, if I have this right, it is the noun and the adjective are the most extreme. Uh, negative to positive of the AI personality um, preferences and traits uh, add to that score. So they're not exactly the same. Um, So compassionate is not exactly the thing that makes you like uh, 
uh, now I'm, for, I'm forgetting, so I shouldn't use compassionate. Um, uh, wrathful isn't the thing that makes you, um, <laughs> I'm forgetting all of the traits. Anyway, not the point. Um, <laughs> those two little things like content follower, um, content isn't, isn't necessarily immediately the thing that makes you that it's content adds whatever plus 10 to your overall baseline AI personality of what they're going to do. And that title is designed to sort of give you a hint, but not tell you all of the things that the AI, that that AI character wants to do. Um, or is willing to do or or will tend toward. So a character who has, uh, say, let's say negative 100 um, in, um, God, what is that stat? I think it's, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, 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 let's say greed. Um, somebody who has uh, negative 100 in, in, in greed uh, is going to be content. Somebody who has positive uh, uh, 100 in greed is going to be uh, a ravener. Um, and Great. Okay. So like you can do that for greed. You can do that for honor. Like, let's say you do that for, for greed and for honor. And then you've got somebody who's like negative 97 in, in vengefulness. Well, it's not going to surface in the uh, AI personality title, but it will absolutely impact their behavior in the game. And so mm. I find that really interesting. It's, it's just the first two that are most extreme. It's not a, as, I, again, this is my understanding of this literally two years ago the first day the game came out as i poked at things so you know don't i I don't think that's changed too much Mm. okay but i i I, yeah go ahead i i haven't actually like tried to delve into that aspect of it i have you know picked at most of the others so it's really interesting that that was like one of the first ones that you went for um the thing that i have noticed about that is that like every time i go and recruit knights they yeah. always come out sounding like total assholes. They uh-huh. always, you know, like a, a, you know, raveners or blackguards or something like that. And I just wonder why can't I find a good knight? And you know, that's uh, maybe that's saying something about uh, medieval culture. There are no good knights, but um, that would be amusing. But also, just like maybe that's the thing that's recruiting those people is that mm-hmm. they're the ones who are most likely to be wandering from port to port looking for glory like that. That's it. That's all very interesting. Yeah, I I I mean this is what I love so much about the Crusader King series. Um the way that systems and uh the way that systems interact to tell these stories. My guess is, you know, and if I had to guess, um something about high prowess uh ticks up those um those things that give you those personality titles that like you can't have somebody who's high who is that high prowess without having one or two of those adjectives, um, which is so interesting to me because it's like, okay, those are the stories you're going to get from this person. If you want a knight like this, like, great, that's awesome. You probably need them, but also here's what's going to come up. And honestly, like, this is why Royal Court uh, was so satisfying to me because it's, um, it gives you, like, the game basically says, okay, we are going to prompt things to happen. Uh, Again, this is this is my understanding of it. I have not looked at the code. I have just played it. This is all back form from like, here's how I would do it. Um, but it basically looks like the game is taking sort of pre-built scenarios and finding the people at your court or around the court who are most likely to fit into these scenarios and asking you to make a decision um, and, and sort of casting them. Um, and that's really that's, interesting to that's me. That's what you were talking about with Wildermeth. 
Yes. Um, yes. And I'm also trying to, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. There's a, uh, uh, there's certain kinds of story sifting that, that are exactly this and I'm completely blanking on exactly what it's called, but yeah, Wildermyth does, does exactly this too. And it sort of has these pre-built stories that, um, anybody can, not anybody, but, but the correct character can, can fit into, right? So like the, um, the ward story will never, uh, give you a child who has a living father. Um, at least in, in the multiple times I have, I have seen that scenario and we'll, we'll get into to repetition later. Um, and so it, it is like deliberately looking for who can, who can play this role, who can fulfill this, which is a really, um, which, which, you know, is a really, as you, as you mentioned, Wildermyth, like it's been really successful, um, as a way of, of sort of, uh, working with these big sort of narrative sandbox games where there's a ton of stuff that could be happening with the AI behind the scenes. How do you boil that up into satisfying narrative? Well, you have patterns that you're looking for. Um, and are trying to match to, um, and, and Crusader at Royal Court in particular is, feels much better about that to me. Um, again, maybe I haven't played it enough to be sick of all of the random events that, that I can receive, but they actually, because the way the casting works, because I'm used to seeing these people time after time, I'm like, oh, great, this guy again. Um, and so there is sort of a feeling of like, right, yeah. Um, this makes sense that this guy is, has gotten into an argument with this other mayor. Um, and so it's, and, and all, the other, the other reason I'm not bored by it is goes back to the fact that I am also a role-playing, uh, a role-playing player. And so, you know, I, my martial king will ask for people to duel each other. Um, my calm king will take the, you know, option that lets me try to diffuse this with less stress. Um, if there's somebody I... I've, I've definitely like picked like the city challenge. I've definitely like looked at these and been like, oh, actually I do want development in the city to advance more so that I get better taxes. So I will side with this guy uh, and then I will sway the other one after because uh, I don't want him mad at me. Um, and, and so they don't feel, I'm not bored of them yet because there's enough points of change. There's enough points of, of, I don't want to call it friction because it's, it's not necessarily, there's enough points of divergence. There's enough hooks for different decisions to be made for different reasons in different ways that even getting the same event doesn't feel the same. And that is a big contrast from the base game, which I'm happy to get into now or later. <laughs> um, another thing that I really like about the Royal court is that you actually see the court. Uh, you all of your characters are standing yes. around and you know interacting with each other. You can see all their personalities kind of at once. Uh, you know the whole cast of characters is there. I wish the game could do a little bit more with like maybe uh, you know actually like physically pulling them out or highlighting which one is doing what. But just the idea of like these people are not just like numbers in a list right now. They actually do have a kind of presence just gives a lot to the storytelling. Um, the other thing I really like about it is that, as I mentioned, uh, like once you got big enough in the base game, uh, the it was just really easy to, you know, point click new duchy, point click, now you're an empire. Uh, and the royal court actually, you know, provides not necessarily friction, but at least some sort of motivating force beyond just get bigger uh, once, you, once you have that level of kingdom or empire. Um, and I think that was extremely necessary. So I was, I'm definitely excited about that one when it was announced. Playing it was also quite fun. 
It, what's really interesting to me, right, as a game designer is how certain things get presented, right? So, you know, on the on the design perspective, they basically said, huh, we need, I, I don't know what they did or didn't do, but like, I can very easily see the version of this where they went, huh, we need a gold sink for late game, late game content. Uh, all right, yeah. great. Put that in the court. Uh, but it's so much fun. Like whenever my court grander level goes down, I'm like, ah, fuck, no, I gotta, I gotta improve something. I gotta make something. I gotta throw gold at this problem. Um, and and it's, it's, it's so satisfying that way. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure that they could have done other gold sinks. You know, there, there are more of those every, you know, expansion pack that, that was introduced. Um, I feel like there's there's there are new decisions in the decision tree that often either cost gold or prestige, and you know you can obviously convert one into the other with uh, enough enough favor from your head of state or commissioning an epic or whatever. Um, and and so you know there's just there there's just a ton of, of of sinks that are around, and yet this is the one that's most satisfying to me. Um, and I think uh, part of it is is what you touched on earlier, Rowan. It's the embodiment of it, right? I can make a little thing, and then I can see the little thing. Um, I can make a banner and see the banner. Uh, the first time I saw my courtiers standing around talking to each other was like this kind of like mind blowing moment of like, oh yeah, of course, of course this is what should be or what is, is happening in the game. Like, you know, they're, they're on my council. Of course they know each other. They're not just like filing <laughs> one in and out to, to deliver their information, but it's just, it's such a cool moment. Um, and it does get to one thing that that i really do wish that this game still did that that uh, i believe crusader kings 2 either did or i had some kind of mod that modded it in um where you could see how other people felt about other people that's that's the biggest thing that i miss um is and i understand like if i'm supposed to be role-playing i should not be able to see what my mother thinks of my grandson um but I really liked that opportunity. Like one of my favorite things in these games is seeing why characters do things. Um, One of my, one of my all time favorite moments um, in Crusader Kings three was I wanted somebody to join in my plot with murdering. I think it was her sister. Um, It might not have, it, it was, it was either her sister or like somebody close to her. And it was like, Negative 20 modifier. I am not somebody who wants to do kinslaying. Positive 28 metaf- uh, uh, modifier. Like something like she's annoying. And I was like, I <laughs> love the story here. <laughs> it's basically like, well, I shouldn't do this. But she's so annoying that, all right, I will join you. And it's like, mm, yes, I want to see that for everybody. Yeah. I love that insight when um when you have like an election going on, you can see why someone will or won't vote for someone. I had a game that I was doing um, yesterday, actually, and I was trying to get people to vote for my heir. Mm. And just like hovering over the opinions, it was just like, minus 650. He is evil. <laughs> he is a heathen. He is an unlanded. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Consider, here's 50 goals. <laughs> and I was just like, plus 10. I trust the influence of a ruler I like. And I'm like, that's not going to help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very throwing gold into the pit and seeing what happens. 
<laughs> I do love it when you try and nominate a baby and they're like, he is evil. And I'm like, this <laughs> is a baby. <laughs> he, could, he, could, he could become non-evil. How do you know? Yeah, exactly. This baby doesn't Can even have you? a concept of sin until they're eight by Catholic rules. So. I was going to say, depends on how you've modified your faith. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a Catholic I, thing. No, I no, mean, I'm, I'm not, Catholic, not Catholic. Don't quote me, but I don't think Catholic. Or is it? Uh, uh, uh. I, th- I think it is Catholic, but but I was I was joking about one of the things I also really like, and I have not done enough because it takes so much actual influence with your head of faith, and I'm bad at building that up. But like, you can reform your religion, like you can change the tenets of your religion, um, and I think that's really cool. Like, I'm really interested in, like, you know, how do we simulate, how do we demonstrate, you know, um, how faith evolves over time? Um, and, and yeah. you know, uh, this game basically says, eh, if you have enough influence in gold, you can persuade people that you're right all along. And I look at, you know, <laughs> early modern English history and, and Henry VIII, and I'm like, yeah, seems right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Checks out. I, I also like the way that you, you could create hybrid cultures and it's actually a yes. benefit for you to create yes. these hybrid cultures. Yes. Uh, that's a really fascinating uh, assumption that's made about, about history here. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the names get a little weird, but the, the, I like the that. process I, I think is, is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I would like there to be more weird custom names like in there. Like when I get it, I could, stay okay like i did had uh was doing a what ended up being a switzerland run and there was like a trans alpine cis alpine no that's that's a good joke um <laughs> i just i just distracted myself um uh, but there was like a you know these multiple alpine things and whatever uh savoyan was and you know i i was able to mentally say okay, this could be like a mountain thing. And I used some sort of different synonym for mountain and was able to create my own that way. But then I look across the map and you know, you have the Iberian Provençal or whatever. Uh, and, you know, the, the hyphens just increasing everywhere. Um, but yeah, the, if the game had, was able to create more cute custom ones, I would I would be entertained by that. I It would probably cause a civil war somewhere in Europe. Uh, but... Rowan, can uh, I uh, can I pitch modding? Ooh, <laughs> directly uh, back at you. <laughs> I, it's a thing that's not unlikely to happen, with, given my history. Um, more like latching on to someone who's doing good modding work and helping them test and uh, providing suggestions and the like. But I have, I do have history with that with Civilization Four. Rome Total War and now the uh the American Civil War or Grand Tactician American Civil War. I am I am deep in those trenches there. So gotcha. uh once <laughs> once I get through all these things, uh what or once I get through the Civil War and Crusader Kings is ready. Um, <laughs> I think I think there are a few more things we before I like really yeah. latch on to this as much as I did Crusader Kings too. But we could get to that at the end, I think. We can do a little a little dream checklist at the end. Um, as I've mentioned, I have been talking. I have been like really interested in the game, basically providing me with more of a challenge uh, because I like reacting in this game. Um, 
how do you all feel about that? Like, is that just like a thing that's not really in your uh, in your realm of comparison? Is that a thing that you're okay with? Is that a thing that you agree with me? Um, Ruth, since you didn't actually play Crusader Kings too and don't have that that basis of comparison, I'm at, I'm really interested to find to find out what you think about you know does this game need more friction? Um, I. Fair question. <laughs> I don't. I think because I'm a, a planner, I'm thinking. About, I'm thinking about what you said in relation to the, like the new update and like you didn't kind of instantly empire. But I think because yeah. of the way I tend to play, I very rarely instantly empired anyway. It, it like it would take me a while to do that because it's instant. I, it's not necessarily instant empire. That might have been the wrong word uh, that I used. Um, more default empire. Uh, I think um, like the, one of the designers after release said, yeah, we basically want every player to have the opportunity to become an empire. And that's like the normal progression. And that mm. kind of horrified me. Um, that that has some assumptions built into it. Um, yeah. Though I guess strategy games, jazz hands, yeah. they always have some weird assumptions built in. That's you, just you, can't, you, can't you cannot it. avoid the weird assumptions. Um, but yeah, I think I think some of that like friction has come in in the like the newest update that's coming with the um, stronger AI economies because yeah. I have to pay more attention to what my neighbors are doing because they're much stronger now. Like usually, arms. you can just kind of. You can coexist with them if you're not as aggressive and they're not as aggressive and you're not you ah, wow so much dripping over my words i found it easier to sort of play tall without as much sort of actively keeping an eye on my neighbors and now i'm like no i really really got to keep an eye on my neighbors mm-hmm. um which is not the same kind of reactive friction you were talking about yeah. Um, but I have found since that update, I have actually got much more familiar with how the armies work, like the the wars work in the kind of the more granular ways, the sort of the the actual tactics of it, the sort of the zooming in and the the best ways to sort of siege and circle yeah. and try to make sure you're fighting a battle on defensive in the hills, that kind of mm. thing. Yeah, those things, rather than just sort of, oh, well, I have 12 army and they have 10,000 army, so I'll just blob them. Um, which <laughs> usually I was kind of in a position where, like, I will just only get into fights or I have the most army. Um, because, again, this wasn't my favorite part of the game. So I would just kind yeah. of rely on, if I wanted to expand, I would just make sure my army had biggest number. Um, and Not a bad way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think... Because the AI has, because they're like building, um, so they have stronger meta arms. You know, they they are getting those building bonuses. I cannot rely exclusively on biggest number, so I am actually playing smarter, and it is interesting. I am going into yeah. battles with more intention. Um, I'm actually kind of pick, picking allies because they are to the north of me or to the west of me rather than going oh well ally with the byzantine empire because they're big 
but they're also like on the other side of the map from me and they'll take several months to get over here and whoops, I've been wiped out. So yeah. I think if you have always been exclusively playing, there is someone, probably someone listening right now and they are writing my name on a list and going, this person should never talk about strategy games. How dare they? <laughs> but like, I've been, I've been playing in a certain way. I know. No. I'm aware. Um, this please is, do this not write my good. name on lists. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to like me much better. Um, <laughs> you know, I... I... So before we get to that, uh, I wanted to mention one of the examples of friction that I think the older Crusader Kings players uh, either want or extremely don't want in this game. Uh, Crusader Kings 2 had an expansion. Uh, I don't remember what it was for, but it was basically it added the small council from Game of Thrones. Uh, your council became an actual like force for vetoing what you wanted to do. So if you wanted to declare war, yes, conclave, that was it. Uh, If you wanted to declare war and you had like your bishop was peaceful and didn't like you very much, your bishop would just like automatically say no and you had to bribe him or sway him or murder him in order to actually declare that war. So there was a ton of friction just in terms of the things that I want to do, I have to get the people alongside me happy in order right. to do them or make them, you know, make their vote not count that much, kick them off the council, all these things that could create different forms of friction along down, along down the line. Um, and like this game doesn't have that kind of feeling of, okay, here is a very specific roadblock. I need to, I need to stop it. And, uh, I felt like it didn't really have any roadblocks, but now it has the softer roadblocks of, oh, it's a lot harder for me to declare war just because I might lose, um, which is, you know, another interesting thing. But I I really like the difficulty of trying to make everyone on my council happy. It really escalated the war, the role playing for me uh, in terms of like, OK, this Duke is an asshole, but he will rebel if I don't keep him happy. So. How do I help? How do I help him help me? What what do we have to do to get on this same page? So you'd get these things that, you know, were in Shakespeare plays where you have the Duke of Lancaster, who's uh, the most influential man in the realm and thinks that he should have been king. He's, you know, your ex-king's brother and now your uncle. And all these things are like coming into play where you have to start going into those stats, see what can be changed, see what can't be changed. Do you just have to like write it out while this guy's alive? And you know he's sixty years old. Maybe that won't be very long. Maybe it will. Um, all all those things are things that I ended up missing. I think this game is developing its own kind of things with Royal Court, especially that kind of get you into those personalities and those relationships a little better. But uh, that one was maybe a kind of brute force way where they can say no, you cannot declare war. Uh, but it yeah. was a reasonably effective one. I really hated that particular aspect of it. And and uh, I, I really liked, Rowan, the part that you're talking about, right? The what's changeable and what isn't changeable. What are the tools that I have in my arsenal to attack it? What I didn't like was the hard stop on things that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And this actually, I think, ties back to sort of how I feel about the friction or lack thereof. Like, I actually do see what you're saying, but... I don't know that I feel exactly the same about, like, wanting more friction from old crusader kings too what i want is more granularity what i want are more problems and more ways to solve those problems um that makes, i don't want 
that's sort of what I was I was getting at is that like a softer version of this would be great. It's the way that I would frame it is I want a version where I remember like specific 20 year spans of this game because it's really easy to just have everything breeze by. If your entire council dies, they get replaced by new people and nothing that you're doing actually really changes. Yeah. I would like this game to like make me remember these fucking counselors, make me want to strangle them or make me, you know, how can I live without this marshal? Like he's he's managing to maintain control in all of my counties that are on the verge of rebellion. All these things uh, to create, you know, those stories that uh, uh, sometimes and it does get better at it. Like it, it was a lot better this game that I played, uh, you know, to completion right. a month ago than it was uh, when I started playing and just was able to, you know lob everywhere on the map and not really pay attention to anyone's personalities because I could just bypass whatever. Yeah, maybe I mean, you need ahead. more elective titles. <laughs> then your vassals that's, can make you mad. Uh-huh. That's, that's definitely a way to, to do it. That's actually what I wanted to get into with the, the dreaming part of things. But uh, yes, go ahead, Kat. Uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, I, I do feel like I had that. I, I feel like I had a um, chancellor, steward, whatever. Um, money guy uh that i really couldn't live without um uh it was one of the events um of like hey you know here's a somebody's mad about this peasant and i was like fuck you vassal i want this peasant on my council you are 23 (laughs) good at money um and he became like one of my most useful counselors i had him educate my second son because i did not want the kid to grow up with like a war focus and i wanted him to grow up with like a stewardship focus because i didn't want him to be like you know uh have you unpacked how all that part works? No, I have not. Uh, okay, I should it, at some point. But. I yeah, I feel like the the education stuff does not have the impact that I feel like uh, it did in Crusader Kings two, and like the way that I think that maybe it should, it should. and that's fine I because like kids are going to do their own thing. They are their own people. They're not just like whoever their mentor is, apprentice. Uh, mm-hmm. But it it does feel like there isn't the way that Crusader Kings 2 was like, here, I will help you, you know, guide this child into what you want them to be. This is the kid will just kind of roll the dice and we'll see. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I do think there is there is still some of that. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's just lucky that this kid ended up like, you know, and he, I, he wasn't like as great of a steward. But like, yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm extrapolating from there. Um, and I do think, I do think I would like to see some more granularity around that, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's getting into a little too into the, the, the backseat driving you weeds, um, yeah. about like, here's exactly how I'd like the system to work. Um, but what I mean is that regardless of whether or not this guy actually like was great mechanically for my second son, I wanted him to be in charge of my second son because that was a good story given everything that had happened. Like Ruth was saying at the beginning of the podcast about like, I love making matches at my court. I love being like, oh, "Oh, (laughs) you're like 40 and you're like 40 and neither of you have gotten married and you have the same traits. Um, I'm going to match you up and, you know, see how that is. Is, is this, is this great? Eh, Probably not, but I'm king. I can do whatever. It's fine. Um, And and I I just, I find that really satisfying. I would like them to come to you and say, Hey, we like each other. Can we get married? That that I feel like would be really satisfying. That, I do that, I do also like doing the matchmaking because I'm like, I need more knights, you know, two generations down. Why don't you all get married? Um but uh the, 
yeah, if they came to you, I think I would I would be like court event. That, that, that would, be, would be a really cute event. Just yeah. Yeah. oh, our courtiers have fallen in love. <laughs> Actually, this 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 lets me sort of focus on my big gripe with Crusader Kings three and why I sort of fell off of it um, in in my sort of first pass around, which is I I really like the new event system. I really really do. There are not enough events specifically like the way that events are done again like as as an emergent narrative designer i can absolutely see this there are not enough event chains at the end you get on an event chain path you have a couple of different variations in your scheme um and you always end up in what what feels like you almost always end up in the same place um if i have to i i I, when i'm doing the romance option if i have to slip in through a window one more time because somebody's like trying to kill my my paramour like I've seen that event so many times. Please give me something else. And I know other events exist, but just like I've seen so many of these so many times that it 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 does not feel personal anymore. And I'm not asking, you know, I, I understand the burdens of content creation. So what I'm actually asking for is more mix and match. I want event chains to feel different, more personal. I would like, you know, for instance, if I if my marshal isn't high enough or my rowdy isn't high enough or not rowdy, sorry, that's for kids. Uh, prowess, that's what I'm looking for. If like my like, you know, don't give me those. Like, give me a learning challenge. Uh, give me spycraft. Give me like, give me something that is paired to me or my paramour. Like, like, please mix and match some example. Like, the, like the ones I really like are where I have to like impress somebody based on their their traits. I love that one. Like, please make me yeah. do more of that. Like, do let me do the memory game. Um, and also, thank you for letting me open the window in the background if I don't remember what this person is like because they're this random courtier that I don't care about and I just need them to to like me enough to to not join a faction against me. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad I can open that window in the background. But but the really fundamental problem I have is events are good enough and satisfying enough and enough color into the world that I need more of them to continue to add that color and not make it feel like, ah, yes, we're back to the casting thing again. We're doing the play of romance. Like, I just want so many more. Like, okay. I had, I had one just recently where um, I I had uh, my, my king was doing a romance scheme on his wife. Well, that's oh, awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, 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 I thought that they were a good match personality trait wise I thought that would be fun and um so he did a romance scheme and she asked for like a really rare flower and I was like cool I've seen this option 15 times before I will I will press on the rare flower button hooray they got married whatever um and then like 30 years later she died and I got a little pop-up of like you've got a new trinket and she had she had a pressed orchid that my character had inherited from her and I was like holy shit like, I, I don't know if it is from that event, uh, but I that I, I that makes sense. And yeah. I loved that, actually. Like, that was the first time this event actually felt personal. Um, and I imagine, similarly, the, the jewelry event will give me uh, a similar trinket. I would love more of that and sort of even more granularity around those particular things. Um, just like just throw a couple a couple more potential events in into you know some of those chains because to me the mix between the event chains and the emergent narrative parts are really where this game sings and why mm-hmm. I can't give it up like I was thinking about like what are my favorite crusader king story, uh, stories before coming on this podcast and 
I've had really good ones in two. Um, but like, I still have not really topped like my first play, like my very first playthrough of Crusader Kings 3 because it was so novel. Um, because I was exploring all of these systems for the first time. And I was finally, you know, I was sending this guy, you know, who I'd been playing organically after his father died, like around the Mediterranean, like cleaning up after messes for like 80 million years. And I finally discovered like, oh, this, this scheme that I'm trying to do, I can just do this here with this guy who's been at my court for this whole time, building up a good relationship because you've been my knight. Like, oh amazing and 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 that kind of interplay between the systems and that's why i like doing uh romance or or seduction schemes against um wives or or concubines because that to me tells a really interesting story okay you got married now what happens are are you doing the and and i love when it's just like this is a this is a political partnership and we tolerate each other and i also love when it's like I, I will sometimes do the seduce scheme against a wife because I'm like, we have zero children. I need an heir. Okay. I will, I will, I will start a seduce scheme against you. It is for that reason. And so there's all of like this granularity to me about what these event chains mean, quote unquote, both in the game and for me as a player, right? Like there's the version of this where like I, I seduce the wife because, you know, I think my character is lustful and would want to do that. And then there's the version of this where it's like, we are in the middle of a, a war and I need an heir and you don't, and we have not produced one yet. So I'm going to see if seduction, you know, gives me that event where like my character lays with, with this person uh, and cross my fingers. And those are two so such different things. And they're still, I still do the same event chain and that interplay is fantastic. And I don't want the event chains to try to reflect what I'm, what, what's in my head. But I want enough variance in them that I can then tie those stories back into the rest of the game. As of right now, some of them still too, feel too flat for me. And, yeah. and that's what's going to make me fall off this time, too. I know it. I can already see it. <laughs> More time for Destiny. <laughs> Same as it ever was. Yeah. Um, I think also going back to my question about the friction is that one of the things here is that. Uh, there's often a right choice and mm -hmm. sometimes it's just like the right choice based on the way the mechanics work. Like what was, what is the proper amount of gold to reaction from the other character? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's just like one of these choices doesn't give your character strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, this ends up making it relatively easy. So like I could just say, well, my character is high stress. I don't want to cause a break. So yep. I will pick the one that gets rid of stress or I will pick the one that doesn't add it. And um, like I can see, especially with the stress system, that where they, they want a system where sometimes you will take something that will stress your character out uh, because that's the right mechanical choice or the right empire choice, the right grand strategy choice. But for people who role play, and I think that's all three of us, uh, like the thing that doesn't increase stress is very specifically the thing that is the way our character would play. If our character yeah. is calm, they're not going to take the angry, angry route here, uh, and we're going to want to role play that. So all of that just gets a little too easy. And like, I don't think I've ever had in the you know 
four campaigns that I've played of this, uh, a character who, uh, or a player character who fully goes on all three, all three stress levels, complete breaking point, um, gibbering disaster at the end of the day. Uh, I think it's, it's always been something that I could manage fairly easily. Uh, the only exceptions to that are if like, three of his friends go die in battle all at once and he gets like plus 40 stress each time that one can cause some issues but uh other than that like it's a little too easy for the role playing and the stress to uh actually like just stay manageable uh cat seems very excited to say something i totally disagree and i yeah, love it for that. I so I want to start with I love the stress system. I think it's one of the best things that Crusader Kings three has. Um, I I have had a character die of stress. Um, uh, I had a character uh, basically get so horny he died, which is an incredible <laughs> sentence, and it, you could not find that in any other game. And I love it. And what happened is that um, from previous decisions, uh, this character had started having an affair with his mother. Um, and yeah, that's going to cause some stress, uh, and later in life sort of ended up, uh, uh, being pressed, um, being, uh, 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 was in like two wars at once because, and like the treasury was failing and, um, ended up, uh, trying to balance between, um, lustful and, uh, 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 Got going into seclusion, which is something I had chosen to lower stress. And so now we had these two things where like this character like really wanted to bang and also did not want to see anybody. And I was like, this is incredible. This is just a great story right here. Um, and also like he didn't want to like, be in public at court where his mother was that he had had sex with like 20 years earlier, which again, like, yeah, my guy, I get why you don't want to be there. Um, and it was just like this really, it was impossible to manage stress because each one of the things that would, uh, uh, decrease stress from the other trait would increase stress from the, 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 the opposed thing. And that was so fascinating. And, and it did end up, uh, pushing him into uh, a breakdown and, and dying. And I, I find the stress system best when it is, when there are multiple sort of avenues that can cause stress and nothing that relieves stress is, a unilateral good. And I do think, Rowan, I think you're right that there are times when it's just like, oh, I'll just keep picking the calm choice until everything spirals into nothingness. Um, but this is this is my problem with, with uh, Crusader Kings 3 in general, which is when these spiky bits work, they work. And I just wish mm-hmm. they happened more consistently uh, because I, I keep playing this game, like sort of prodding the game to get to get me there. <laughs> and, and I want it to be more efficient at getting me into the hell spiral. Um, yeah. And and but 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 I really do think that that when stress gets into that stage where multiple things are pulling on it, it can really get out of control. I I would love to have a game like that. I just have not had one. Yeah. Ones where like consistently the the two or three things you can do to relieve stress will also cause right. the stress later. Um it's usually just like you go to the brothel, maybe you get an STD. And that's really bad personally. But I've got 300 more years, my dude. I don't need to worry about your syphilis. <laughs> I think it's, it happened to be a fair amount where I've ended up with um, uh, with monarchs with like conflicting traits because I haven't had any influence. Mm-hmm. Like when I've had a like a ruler that right. had 
that like lived long enough that like their grandchild ends up taking over. So I've had like absolutely no impact in their life. And they're like, I'm diligent and also paranoid and also <laughs> shy. And I'm like, no, it's it's the bad ones. <laughs> yes. Or they're like, I'm lustful and also shy. And I'm like, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, not those ones. <laughs> Any others, please? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they're like, I'm so horny and will never go near anyone ever again. Shyness, it turns out, is absolutely devastating for a medieval monarch. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Well, when I, they're sadist- um, there was like, like this- an intrigue ruler who is compassionate, oh. and they're like, I want to murder someone, but I feel so bad about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No, no, you're 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 right. Rowan, have you ever considered that, that maybe you're too good at Crusader Kings, and that's the problem I mean, here? This is, this is a way that I tend to recommend the game, is that, like, I will I will talk with people who are like, oh, I would like to play this Crusader Kings. It's on Games Pass. I hear people talking about it, but I'm so bad at it. I'm like, that's good. You want to yeah. be bad at it. Yeah. Um, be less optimal. Like, like it's not necessarily you want to be able to understand what to do when you like what what your options are. That yeah. part you you do need. And that part is, you know, it's improving, but this is still a paradox game. It's very complicated. Yeah. Everything yeah. is there immediately up front and there's not really a way around that no. uh, there's ways to do better but then worse but, uh yeah those that's an issue but like once you get to that point like knowing that okay here's the most efficient way i can build my buildings so that my army will be strong enough to take on my neighbors here are the alliances that i can make i need more alliances let's turn out some more babies uh uh, like all all these things, yeah. I I in part want the game to push back on me because I know how the game works. I have I've did a part. Like this yeah. is part of the reason that that first week with Crusader Kings, whether it's two or three, is often the greatest week because yeah. like my first game with Crusader Kings too, I never built a building. I did yeah. not know how to build a building. It was really <laughs> weird in Crusader Kings too. Uh, Did you win? I think I eventually collapsed, but I was like, I used the money I saved from not building buildings to hire mercenaries. So I was able to like keep my armies in relatively good shape and like things eventually spiraled out of control and collapsed. I think I started in France and ended up with a county in Hungary and then eventually (laughs) got got eaten that way. But yeah, it was. But, you know, the further I get into knowing how to min-max, like, you know, there are people who play this game trying to min-max their genetics. You can go in and, like, see the genetic codes of these characters now, which is a little creepy. I don't don't love that Paradox did that, but I I know that there are people who do. Um, And they're like, okay, I want to create the absolute best characters I can. And, like, they can go into the bloodlines and figure out who the best matches are in that respect. And eugenics the hell out of the game, which I... Uh, I would never ever want to do. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's way too much for My me. My dream but... for Crusader Kings three—they remove that element. <laughs> <laughs> they take yeah. out the noble veins legacy. Everything yeah. else stays the same. Yeah, that one feels. Hmm. That one yeah, feels... Uh, I know. I, I so the thing for me on on heritable and inheritable traits is is. Again, and this this goes into sort of the the main complaint of how granular is too man granular with menus. Um, 
I find that the the search for a character system here, uh, I, I also miss the one from two. Um, I want to get weirder. I want to get more granular. I want to know who's in diplom- uh, diplomatic range. I want to be able to layer a bunch of filters on. And when I search for traits, like I don't want to know if something is heritable or inheritable. What I want is like, I would love to be able to find all of the characters with poet. I would love to be able to find all of the characters. No, I'm serious. Like, you know, no, again, I-, I go into role playing on this. Like, if I have like a compassionate son who like has high learning, like I would love to find match you know, make him, him a- with a poet. Yes. yes. Like, yeah, I mean, listen, like I've been very, very upfront about the fact that for me, Crusader Kings is not just a role playing game, but like it is like a like I do really like the matchmaking simulator part of this. Like I I like pairing people up who have a better chance at at, you know, hypothetically liking each other because because it doesn't happen in medieval royalty so often. And I really like the challenge of can I marry you to somebody who doesn't have a huge army and be okay anyway? If I think that this is going to be, you know, a good match, if I think that this is going to be interesting, I think if this is going to tell interesting stories, I personally find that a really interesting challenge. And Paradox is like, hmm, what if you used fertility? Well, like, I get it. I get why you want fertility to be, you know, something you search for. But like, it's very interesting. It's like, is this character fertile? Is this, does this character have heritable traits? Like, I want other things. And like, I, I would almost rather a ticky box of like, hey, here are all of the traits in the game that you can search for. Which ones would you like to search for right now? Like, if you're going to give me that, if you're going to give me that level of granularity about like, you know, those kind of traits, like, let me do this for all of the traits. And I understand why you don't, because that is combinatoric hell and and is going to overwhelm all of the players. But like, you know, I'm just saying that that is the thing that I want. <laughs> well, we, we speak for everyone on this show now. Mm, um, good. No, I think we're the we normal be ones. They're all poets. Weird. I'm fully on your side now. Yes. <laughs> Plato would would disagree, but uh, <laughs> sorry, that is a very deep joke. <laughs> <laughs> I think to go back to what I said about the courtiers, like I do think that having the game come to you with things that like might work like that, yes. say that your your character, your son, comes to you and says. Oh dear mother, I'm so sad. I would love to have a poet as a wife who could express help me express these things that you can you can work with that. Like that's that seems like yeah. a thing that uh would really, really engage with both the role playing and the systems in ways that could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I would because like would, you could be like, no, we have the Mongols nearby. We need to make <laughs> the best the best match possible. Sorry, you're depressed. So uh, this actually happened, like, the best thing that has happened to me with the Royal Court expansion pack was, like, very similar to this. I had way too many heirs um, in a, uh, in, in, in pre, um, pre, pre-unified Ireland. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, this is going to fall apart next generation. We, there are five boys here in the line of succession, and they're all going to inherit different counties. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was fine in the after fact, but I was like, I'd, I'd prefer to remove some of these. And, and one of them came to me at, at court and was like, please don't let me, please don't make me marry allied heir that, that they were allied to. And one of the options was, then you will marry no one. Make this character become a monk. And I was like, but all of my problems are solved here. Um, and so I, I kicked him out of the line of succession. And then because I still wanted the alliance, betrothed the next son to uh, uh, the woman in question. And I was like, this has worked out wonderfully for me. And so I want more of those, right? More of those things that are about um, 
my characters, especially my family members asking me for things. Um, yeah. Another one was, um, my, my mother, when I was playing, um, I think I was playing Byzantine and, uh, uh, was, was, was Russian, um, was like, I miss court and I could learn her language. And I was like, oh, I love that. Like there were a bunch of things that I could do, but one of them was learn language. And I was like, I know this has a material benefit outcome to me in terms of like culture. I don't care. I just think this is cool and fun. Um, and, and I want more of those, I want more of those things that, that, do have nominal bonuses in game. One of the things I really do like about Crusader Kings is that, you know, there's everything is tied to a number and and yes, number go up with everything. And there's there is a reason to pick most things, even if Rowan, as you say, like there are some decisions that are clearly right. Um and so there there it's not just, you know, a cosmetic decision. Um and so there is a reason to to take that. But like as a role player, I'm like, oh, this is the choice. Absolutely. I, I want more of those things that give rise to to those. Um, I was also going to touch on really quickly the, um, I think this is an introduction in friends and foes, uh, but you can, you can sort of do things that, that make somebody friends with you or like can be like friends, respected, uh, uh, all these sort of like really small granular sort of attitude changes based on like how you, how you approach certain events. And they're all pretty small. I think the numbers are, I think the numbers seemed all pretty similar to me between like friends and respected, but they all kind of gave me like slightly different, like slightly different cadences um, to like my, like I had like, this was back when I had like five sons, like two of them were friends with me and like were, and one was respected. And I was like, I kind of like the story this is telling about this guy who basically like, as his sons grow up, like they actually create like real relationships with a king which is like very weird for you know <laughs> medieval history often and and so i but and you know those modifiers weren't that different between like respected and friend um and that was good like i'm fine with that being essentially a cosmetic difference because to me that cosmetic difference is like i don't want a reason to be like oh i'm going to wait on this event cuz i'm really holding out for respected I really like the version of this is like, I'm going to play the way that feels right and more or less get, you know, not enough of a spike to make me wish that I'd mid-maxed away from role-playing, which again is why I love the stress system so much. Yeah. I, I am reminded of, I don't remember if it was a talk or like a Twitter thread or an article, but uh, one of the writers for Dragon Age Inquisition was talking about how in the last expansion, the Trespasser, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the, the end of the game and sort of the end of the trilogy. There's the there's a choice that you make at the end of like you disband the Inquisition, yes or no. And the way that you could uh answer that, like they were talking about how you know they could they, when they were designing it, they were like, okay, maybe your character automatically does it. Maybe there's only one answer. No, we want two answers here. But the two answers weren't working. Like the testers did not like a simple binary yes or no. So they added three different like tones that you could reply. You could reply like, yes, we're disbanding the Inquisition and fuck you. Or yes, we'll disband the Inquisition, but uh, this, I hope you remember everything that we did. We, this is, you know, all wonderful things. Or no, we, we'll never disband the Inquisition. Uh, but they, these different emotional tones, so there were six options, but only actually like two of them were relevant, uh, in air quotes. Um, 
but the, the three different tones for each made testers so much happier. Yeah, and it absolutely. ended up being like in a game that I disliked for lack of choices. Uh, that was one that was really satisfying. I did like that, that big ending uh, at the end. And I, I feel like, yeah, there are those moments in Crusader Kings that kind of gets mm-hmm. that. It's not necessarily that you have made a specific decision. It's how you have made that decision and how you feel right. about it and how the game reacts to you. Yeah. Uh, that all all comes together in really interesting ways. Yeah, I wrote something, God, probably like five or six years ago now on successful reflective choices in games. And, you know, I look back on it, it's, it's such a small thing. And I'm like, oh, I have a million more things I should have said in this. Um, but I think it was really useful for for people who have linked to it and mentioned it in the past of like, here is a codification of the fact that, oh, this is a thing. Like, this is a thing that exists. Yeah. We know that it works. How does it work when it works? Um, and because I, I, I think it really does. Like, I very much am for reflective choices. Uh, you know, not not all of them, but but having having a way of characteristic expression that has some mechanical effect, but where that mechanical effect is is very broad is what I'll say. Right? It's the yes, no, disband or don't. I'm like, okay, can't really square that one but but the reflective choice is up to the player to interpret and and i think crusader kings 3 2 was very good about this too um but what impresses me about 3 and and you know which is not to to shade 2 for this but what impresses me about 3 is 3 has more um three's events feel more um specific and and sort of like a little more uh, uh scripted than than 2's did and yet it doesn't to me feel like i've lost as much of the reflective bits and the sort of like me interpreting parts as, as Crusader Kings two had. Um, I think, I think even feeling a little in the places where it feels a little more scripted, I still, I still can kind of see my own interpretations of it, which, which is kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like feel free to, to disagree and be like, I feel like it's too scripted when it comes to events. I can understand is- that too. I, I'm about to open maybe a bit of a can of worms, for, given that we've almost got an hour and a half, but this is actually a really interesting thing in the trajectory of Paradox games, is that uh, they used to use events all the time in order to kind of force the historicity or historical-ish outcomes in uh, Europa Universalis, especially that uh, EU... EU1 was, you know, here's a game that has some events. They realized the events could, like, guide history. EU2 is just filled with, okay, it's, you know, the, mid, the mid-16th the mid century. You're playing as Russia. It's time to do Boris Gudunov. Let's roll. And here, here's the, all the events change that might do that. And uh, one of their design philosophies, I think, as, as they have gotten more accessible, bigger, et cetera, uh, better, um, is to move away from events. EU4 uses uh, the, the mana system or the, the ruler points to kind of, uh, it has some events and some of them are historical, but by and large, it's mostly you are trying to make these choices that have a historical flavor and you are creating the events in this respect. Uh, with Crusader Kings 2 and 3, this has gotten very complicated because as Paradox has moved towards these systemic kind of uh, things. Crusader Kings is also half role-playing game that you want to have these kind of 
things that happen pressure the player make these choices so um like paradox has kind of moved away from just like more text as a way to get more history into having more choices lead to more history uh and crusader kings 3 i feel like does actually kind of lower the number of events lower kind of have smaller fewer events like you don't have these huge chains that are you know novella length stories of your your character becoming the antichrist or you know one of your heirs becoming the antichrist as fun as that was and that was that was tons of fun the first time second time even the third time but when you get into the fourth time when someone's shooting bees out of their mouth it's not that big a deal anymore um and you know that it's going to just be text 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 so i do think that crusader kings 3 has tried to move into like smaller numbers of better choices or not maybe not necessarily smaller numbers but like uh more focused here's the thing that you're doing here is the the play that you are in and that has led to its own problems as you're talking about the repetition of yeah you're crawling through the window again and your would-be paramour is has an assassin like for the 80th time uh what an amazing coincidence but you're right about the focus of them. And I, I think that is right. I think my frustration with the with some of those event chains, like I just wouldn't do those after a while in Crusader Kings 2 because I was like, I don't want to go down this path. Like I'm just not that interested here. Like I'd switch characters or start a new save. Like I'm just like, eh, this is boring. Um, Have the kid murdered. Yeah, exactly. You know, just, just kill the Antichrist. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and and here i feel like there's much more there there's there's less text and i think there i think i think now that there is less text i would like to see more potential versions of of that less text yeah um like we don't um, need more you know time we don't need more time to event uh sorry we don't need less time to event what we need is is a little bit more granularity in event when event happens i say we need as though you know I'm not, you know, we're, you know, I get to make the decision. We're the fans. We're in charge. Uh. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, uh, the faces that people are making. Uh, <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, uh, the events also like when they tie into other things, like you're talking about the orchid that your, your dead wife had, had sent back to you after uh 30 years uh after the seduction thing that's a thing that can only happen in royal court because royal court added the inventory system so all these things that like add another tie it like have these these second aspects of the chain that reinforce the first one yes i think um ends up helping a lot when you get when you know that these systems are interacting in interesting ways and then you know you have this orchid for the rest of your your time as a ruler and maybe it doesn't mean anything to your character or you 50 years down the line or maybe you like really love this story so much that you are making sure that you have that orchid in your possession even though there might be things that mechanically are superior to that and that's the kind of thing that like these uh adding adding the connections between the events and the systems and so on uh, can actually really improve the game. Like when you're, what I loved about Crusader Kings 2 is that it made me make choices 
in order to like role play how I felt or how I felt my characters should feel that were bad choices. Like I one of my very early games, and this is the one that like made me realize that this was something truly special. I was playing as uh, you know, a Russian principality type thing. I was a pretty big chunk of Russia. Uh and I got overthrown and the Mongols were coming. And like, so I am the now the most powerful duke of this kingdom, and I am just sitting in conniving ways to get back on my throne, even though launching a civil war while Genghis Khan is on the horizon is pretty unwise. But I was being, you know, motivated to do that because I was so pissed off that they had overthrown me. And I think it worked with my character too, or whatever. This was before I really got into the individual role playing, which is a lot easier for Tater Kings Three. Um, it feels like the kind of compressed traits uh, make it easier to focus on like, okay, well, what would my character do? But yeah, this making a historically appropriate choice of being really pissed off and trying to get my crown back, even though it was a mechanically unwise choice yes. was amazing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It's, it's so, it's so good when, the game asks you to do the thing that is thematically appropriate, but mechanic. Like, if a game can get you to do the thing that is mechanically not optimal, but historically, like, you know, apologies, ludo narratively consonant. Um, that's that's <laughs> just great. Like, I think I think that's ideal. Where it's where it's like, I am satisfied that I am doing this because there is a reason here, and I'm going to take the less option, uh, less optimal version of this because it's worth it to me. Like where yeah. a game again doesn't pressure you into doing it uh, and say like you have to do it this way, but it's it's so when you get to make that call, oh, it's really good. Yeah, I uh, I had a great event fire the other day where um I had uh just got back from I just concluded a civil war that I was conducting with my sibling. I had won. It was great. Open up my royal court. Uh, two of my children are fighting mm. about. Mm. Uh, one one child going. I should actually get everything, um, or else the country will be divided into civil war and murder plots. <laughs> and the second child is going. Is this what you're planning? I don't think you should get anything if you're planning civil war and murder plots. <laughs> and I'm I'm standing there going. Well, I just I just did a civil war, so I can't say that this isn't how it goes. So I, I pick the dialogue option that's like, well, unfortunately, that's how the game is played. And I disown my like perfect air <laughs> and I am left with the garbage son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, that he's is just, a wonderful story. That's so good. That's so I'm good. just like, this is mechanically an awful, like the perfect air. He was so good. The garbage sun, absolutely awful. And I just watched the perfect air like just leave and like marry someone and like inherit, like not inherit from me, but like get a bunch of titles and just do really well. And I'm just like, you go off. You go live your excellent life. You little excellent person. I have a garbage son (laughs) who wants to murder people. (laughs) <laughs> and everyone hates him. Yeah. This this actually goes into uh, 
what I wanted to do to finish things off and talk about like our sort of ideal where we would like to see the game go from here. Uh, just put on our, our fully enthusiastic fan hats, uh, not not necessarily worry about all all these things. But uh, the thing that I would really, really like to see more from this game is uh, precedent over law. Uh, the the way that laws work in this, it's just like you switch a button and suddenly you've got an elective heir instead of a partition. And that's not really the way that things work. These were, these were like, you know, we see this with the new Game of Thrones show that's entirely about what is the precedent of having a female heir. Uh, has this been decided? Is this fully decided? Are people going to get mad about it? Uh, and like this is not a simple thing where someone in the Targaryen history book said we are definitely going to have uh, male only succession. It's these are things that are established by precedent as the stories are are continuing. And uh, like what I feel like would be an ideal situation for having this precedent over law is a situation where you as the ruler are like trying to decide between, you know, one really good heir comes to you and says, uh, or a, a really good second son comes to you and says, like, hey, I think that, you know, we should maintain partition. Partition is great. I'll get to be your heir's uh, number one duke. Uh, this is, this works out well for everybody. And then your initial heir, who might be worse, comes and says, no, I should inherit everything. That would be more convenient. And now you have to choose because primogeniture is significantly better for the player in terms of maintaining their kingdoms, empires, etc. You have to choose, okay, am I going to establish a precedent where I want to keep this son in power while this other one uh, who might be worse off, like the do I want something better long term for a short term hit? All these, all these considerations, or you know, will this potentially cause a civil war? All, all these, yeah. I, I just want something that has these things decided by great councils, small councils, kings making decisions, like getting getting a slight tilt towards primogeniture, but then there's another crisis. Um, I'm, I'm sort of rambling, rambling off here, but like. Crisis and precedent, I feel like more than like a law that you choose to make as a long-term kind of thing would be both historically appropriate and I think lead to a lot of fun gameplay things. I think this is also where we get into a potential sort of uh, vector for what you wanted about friction, right? Um, I can see I'm, I too am sort of more interested in, in things that aren't flipping a switch. Like I think there's a version of this where it's like, okay, I want something to happen. I'm not there with the law yet. I would like to like seed, like maybe I can pay somebody, somebody with high learning to write a book or make an argument about it. Or maybe I yeah. can, you know, invite courtiers from other places who have precedent about this. I really like the idea of, and having people who are more, redis more resistant about things, like a character who is stubborn, who would have more issues around, you know, accepting that would be more likely to uh, mount a revolt or, or something. Like, I, I think there's something here in, there is there is a sort of mini game to be played in how do you get precedent done that, yeah. that I think speaks to the thing that, that you're missing from the game. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, what about your your fantasy dream here, Kat? 
Oh boy. Okay. So like my big fantasy dream essentially like goes back to like, I think what I really want is a sandbox. Like I think what I really want is, is um, a game that is a little bit bigger and a little bit broader than the game that we have with a lot more levers to pull on it. Like I think what I, what I want is, is <laughs> the small version of it is, is a little bit closer to yours, which is granularity. Right. I want, um, I'd like, you know, I, my, my current two options, if I want gender equality are, um, do this over 300 years and, and adopt something or start with it on. And then things are completely exactly the same as it would be if, if not. And I'd love to sort of see like, okay, um, what does a version of this look like where I have gender equality in one empire and on another, will they, will they, will they marry their daughters into our non-gender equality empire? Will they not? What does it mean to have, you know, women as um, uh, chancellors and diplomats and spy masters, but not as marshals. Like I, I really would like to see more granularity around traditions and customs and more sort of feelings about traits. Like you can kind of do this a little bit with religion right now where it's like, oh, we value these things as virtues and these as vices. I would like to see that attached to culture also and sort of be able to tune more or less where how characters fit with their initial culture. If there's drift, if they sort of assimilate to another culture. Um, yeah, sort of like how values uh, evolve over time. Are they more idiosyncratic? Are they like, are characters, are there characters who are more idiosyncratic? Are there characters who are more traditionalist? You know, I'd like to see more of that granularity. And that's why I say like, what I think I'm asking for is a sandbox. Like, I think I'm asking for like a much bigger game than is actually possible or doable. And like, again, it's fine. We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, asking for the sort of hat on. But I think what I'm, what I really mean is like those kinds of, stories to me are really interesting where clashes can sort of come from where um differences in opinion uh uh and differences in in sort of what we allowed where i use gender as as sort of a a default but like obviously that's not the only one like inheritance uh religion uh, uh tolerance around religion um uh views on what we should be doing in the as as our culture builds up like i just like to see more sort of um yeah, sort of more granularity and more um, shifting around that. Like I sort of felt this when I looked at the the Iberia um, expansion where I'm looking at struggle and I'm like, oh, I want, like this posits very clear rules on how the struggle phase works and what the what the outcomes are. What if I could change those? What if I could decide what a positive outcome is, what a negative outcome is, what a hostile, what an outcome that that's only possible through hostility is. Um, and I don't want to for Iberia, um, but I'm interested in doing that for, okay, what if I make a Byzantium that is torn between, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, returning to, to uh, Western Roman traditions or sort of um, um, is, is sort of forging its own, uh, moving more toward sort of, um, what's going on in uh, that region at the time. I, how can I set my own, you know, <laughs> how do I, how do I get the Byzantine historians in there? Um, I can't obviously right now, right? I, I have to wait for expansion packs. And so I guess what I sort of wish for is uh, either, you know, a lot more people to have a lot more time to do modding or um, a lot more levers exposed. And I, I don't think that would make a good game which is why this is in the 
things I want in the pipe dream section rather than in the <laughs> I really wish paradox would do this. But but there is, I think, this 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 thing that keeps making me fall off Crusader Kings, which is there's more that I want to do in these games that just I'm just not allowed to do because of the way the systems work. And I want to fuck around with the systems on that sort of profound level. And like, yeah, maybe it would lead to an incredibly unbalanced thing where five people declare war on me at once, or I take over Europe in three years. That's fine. Let me see what that looks like. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's one of my big dreams. When you were starting that, uh, starting with the example of gender equality, I was just imagining Paradox releasing a, a Crusader King expansion called only women. <laughs> <laughs> I feel be... like that goes in the dream shit post thread. <laughs> like things I saw in a dream. Um, uh, no, I think there's some really interesting kind of, I don't know, connections you have there. I think one of the one of the ones in like in terms of like the the cultural friction, right, mm -hmm. is that paradox has moved away from having like culture be this inherent thing that uh like yeah some some kind of an inherent quality that a person has for where they're born or how they're raised or whatever and to something that's a lot more contingent like with the with the way that cultures are are can now be hybridized and all these things and it's, it's a difficult thing because if you get too deep into this you're you know making statements about uh you know all russians are like this or right. you know the, the, these kinds of problems, making it increasingly contingent and increasingly have these kinds of frictions is, I think, something that could work really well, but if it gets tilted in like the wrong direction yes. slightly, you know, might cause a civil war in Europe. And <laughs> uh, this is. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think that's a good point. Like, I think I really do like the way that that things have been getting more contingent about culture in so far and and yeah i think it's it's okay to sort of say like hmm, this is uh there are there are ways that this could be done that are not uh particularly useful yeah i do um, think but yeah I, I i just think that it would be like wonderful to have to combine our two things you know someone who comes from a primogeniture culture you know they they marry into this family and now they're saying, okay, why why isn't my firstborn son inheriting everything? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And having this friction between everyone else in the in the uh in the court, uh, that would that would be a marvelous way to like directly engage you with you know the, the decisions that you have to make when you're marrying people, decisions that have to come out of uh the systems that you kind of partially engaged with now they're all working together um, yeah and it felt like it does feel like a historical thing like i've i i know that there have been circumstances of you know somebody arrives at a court and it's like oh well, we did this differently and then everybody at the court is like ah they're an interloper and we're worried about them because we think they're going to replace our traditions with with their own it's like well, yeah maybe they should <laughs> maybe your fashion is backwards I was just thinking earlier today, actually, that like, and it, it's a thought you kind of have when you don't have a better solution to it, but the sort of, the the approach when they kind of rebooted how they did culture with the, I think it was with the Royal Court update, has resulted in kind of a bit of a weird abstraction in that 
it is now unrelated to everything else. And I thought about this when I had a populist uprising uh, that was specifically the Sephardic Catholics. Mm. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> like, <laughs> these, these, this is culture that is not entirely removed from religion. But now the way that religion works in Crusader Kings is that it is just about like the religious laws like what is allowed what is not allowed and also here are some rituals and like nothing else and I think my dream thing would be to sandbox fan hat don't know how you would actually implement it to build back more into how religions work because there is more to how religions function evolve than one person with a lot of influence and money goes hello i've created a new religion here's the church of england you're welcome i'm henry the eighth um but like oh extremely contentious thing if you are actually the hypothetical designer at paradox but you know in the way of a magic wand way would love to see you know, the the kind of natural evolution of, you know, people practicing religion differently in different groups, in different cultures, in different geography, in different, you know, you have two groups of people next to each other and one of them is like, oh, we hate it when women do things. And another group is like, we love it when gender is equal. And they're like, hey, what if we cook soup together? And, you know, eventually there's some discussion here. And these sentences got away from me a bit, but like <laughs> practice changes. Um, yeah. It, it, it is not solely dictated. And e even within like, <laughs> I was going to say, it's not solely dictated by the Pope. And then I was like, is this true of Catholics? I honestly don't know that much about Catholics, but like. <laughs> okay, neither do they. <laughs> I'm I'm being put on a list by Catholics and, and really hardcore strategy fans for both crimes against not knowing enough about Catholicism and you playing different games for my moving around tiny armies, Joys. I do it in different games. It's okay, I promise. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that is my fan hat. Um, in the theoretical game where you can just go, I think this would be interesting and you don't have to think about how it would be implemented at all. Um, yeah. is putting stuff back in that is not just about the rules, what is illegal and what is not. Yeah, I think that's well, that's really interesting in terms of uh, just how the game sort of works because, yeah, there are these rules for Catholicism, but you can have these characters doing all kinds of different things within that, and that doesn't necessarily add up to a system, but it does add up to like a personal relationship with the church and whether there's there whether you're following the rules etc hmm. but i do think that like there is there is a fairly common theme here that we just want more gray areas right yeah. we don't want it to be this simple binary of are you catholic yes or no it's what does it mean to be catholic where, where does this where does this interact with culture where does this interact with you know if they're in iberia and they're consistently interacting with muslims and jews and uh are they adopting any of these practices? Is the Inquisition going to show up for, to make it uh, especially Crusader Kingsy? Um, but yeah, these kinds of 
well, what happens if in the middle between this, you are this thing and you practice this thing or you practice multiple or and, you know, this is obviously a very difficult game design thing to go from you are X to X is Y, Z, A, B, 1, 2, 7, all the all those things. But like this is a game about people, right? This is people are not single individual atomic things. They are collections of practices. They are collections of beliefs, collections of relationships. This is a game that's working on modeling this better than any other game uh, in its in its type. But it's a really difficult thing to try to, you know, create a computer person who's complicated. Yeah. All but those, also, we, all we have things. a magic wand solution. Yeah. But also a computer person that, that you can, you know, understand and interact with in ways that are measurable and extrapolatable. Like, like this is the thing, Rowan, that I, I think you are making the point here around about the difficulty here is, is we are still, you know, we are still wanting to play this as a strategy game at the end of the day. And, and, while we want more granularity, I think there's also, you know, that incredibly difficult line to walk between we want this granularity, but we also want it to be legible to players. And like Crusader Kings, and especially three, is I think one of the most legible games in in its genre of of this sort of like systemic and people simulator that there is. And so, you know, the question for me, like even if you could wave the magic wand and, and have all this complexity there, is how do you surface it to players in a way that feels good and feels like they have control and ability? I shouldn't say control because I think part of this is is you know uh, some ambiguity there, but but understanding at least of how to play with these systems and how these systems are going to interact with with their own actions. I think that to me is like oh, like it'd be yeah. great. I hope we get all this, and then also like. Congratulations on solving the hard problems of what a simulation is. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a blog post, I believe, that uh, Thorin Johnson did about mm-hmm. um, Old World, uh, where he talked about like how he got frustrated by the over-transparent diplomatic systems of other games uh, that you know you just kind of tried to take as much as you could based on what your specific relationship was. So you could pull in like, you know, 500 gold because you have a good relationship and when you're making all these trades and in old world, he was like, this is, this is an unsatisfying and kind of boring mechanically system. Let's have this be about relationships. And, you know, people come to you with diplomatic choices. They say, we would like this. You can do X or Y. What, what is it? And create, create narratives that way. And it was really interesting because Soren Johnson's Civilization Four is kind of the game that got us on this transparency path when they started saying, you know, here's the plus 10, here's the minus 30 for all your relationships with these other other diplomatic systems. So, uh, you know, seeing someone who has been in those transparency trenches come along and say, actually, sometimes we want a little less transparency and granularity because we want more storytelling, because when it comes back to Crusader Kings. Uh, two and three, like we, I'm saying we want this humanity. We want these gray areas. Well, humans are chaotic and unpredictable often. Like we can say, you know, someone is acting against their own interests in this thing. Um, and in Crusader Kings, like someone 
can't act against their own interests. Yes. They just have all these conflicting things going on. And you can see exactly what all those conflicting things are. Uh, they might, you know, go against interest B in order to achieve interest A, but there is still a specific logical reason for them to do that. And that's part of what makes the game great is that we can see these characters and why they're doing what they're doing, but if they were truly human. We couldn't see that. And then it wouldn't be Crusader Kings anymore. So exactly. that's, yeah, there's, this is a thing where it, it doesn't feel like there's a fully right answer. There's just going down certain paths a bit of the way and seeing what happens. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, any other final thoughts on Crusader Kings? I think we've exhausted the entire series. Yep. Uh, we're done with Crusader Kings now. Um, there is nothing else to say about the entire game. Yes. Uh, three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners like you at patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can donate and join our Discord, or you can uh, donate and keep Lynn homed and fed and clothed. Uh, she is our producer. I think that's all I have to say uh, for Ruth. And for Kat, this is Rowan saying have a good night.